Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. In the UK, there's a growing number of reports of the same terrifying thing happening to young women going out to nightclubs. Basically got spiked at nightclub in Bristol. We started noticing bruising coming up in my hand and there was this sort of pinprick in the middle. While we've been made aware of drink spiking and the measures we can take to avoid it happening to us, how do you avoid being injection spiked? Today, we look at why this is happening and what's being done to ensure it doesn't become an issue here in Australia too. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. The morning after looked very similar for Zara Owen, Emma McDonald, and Sarah Buckle. The next thing I remember is being in hospital at around 9am the next day. My hand was throbbing. So I woke up and obviously I had no memory and it kind of confused me a bit because that doesn't happen to me. But then I did actually find a pinprick in my leg because I did actually have a shooting pain there. I couldn't stand. I was walking with a massive limp. I was walking around my house, clinging onto like the banister and everything just to give me some support. They'd all been out to nightclubs with friends the night before, but had lost large parts of the night to memory loss, even though they hadn't been consuming much alcohol. It was your normal night out. We had people back to our house to have drinks before we went, and then a big group of us went to the city centre and we went to one of the clubs. Everything seemed fine. I put my jacket away, went to the bathroom, went to dance, and then my memory just completely goes... I'd remember getting in my taxi home with my friend, but other than that, I only remember being in the bar. I remember going into said club and we went through metal detectors. I had my pockets emptied and my friend who had her bag with her had her bag searched. And then after that, I remember going to the bar, to the toilets and going to the photo booth, all with my friends, as we would, you know, at the very beginning, it was in maybe the first 15, 20 minutes of the night. And then my memory blanks until I'm at home and I'm reaching for my phone charger. But when they got out of bed the next day, they all realised something was wrong. We started noticing bruising coming up in my hand and there was this sort of pinprick in the middle. It's just the bruising, it's like a perfect circle. Inside it's sort of hard as if it's like a scar that should be there and right in the middle, the little pinprick. I felt where the, the epicentre of pain was and to my dismay and disgust, there was a pinprick on my leg. 
These three women are the victims of an alarming trend happening across the UK right now of people saying they've been targeted by someone injecting them with an unknown substance. Hundreds of mostly women, but also some men, have come forward claiming they've been jabbed while out at a bar, club or other venue, from Scotland at the top of the UK all the way down to Brighton in the south of England. It led to a mass boycott of nightclubs in Britain as young people demanded better protection from those looking to harm them inside licensed venues. For those who are still venturing out after dark, some have turned to wearing double denim in a bid to stop a needle from puncturing through their clothes. Sussex police did confirm this week that two men aged 28 and 19 were taken into custody on suspicion of administering poison with intent to injure. But when reports of this shocking act first came out of the UK city of Nottingham last month, which has a high population of university students, some medical professionals were sceptical. Professor Adam Winstock from the Global Drug Survey told the BBC that injecting someone during a night out would be extremely difficult and therefore highly unlikely because inserting a needle has to be done with some precision and is difficult enough in a hospital setting, let alone in a dark nightclub through someone's clothing. He also says it would be difficult to keep a needle in someone's skin long enough to get all of the substance in, as you generally need to have at least half a teaspoon of a drug, and that would hurt enough to notice. But others don't agree, saying after a few drinks, a person would be less likely to notice the prick of a needle. Another medical professional, Dr Shirin Lakhani, who now works as a cosmetic doctor and who was previously an anaesthetist, says needles these days can be very thin and so may not be noticed. One point that isn't up for debate, though, is that the more traditional drink spiking is on the rise, or at least people reporting the crime to police is. An Australian study from 2004 found that there were between three to 4,000 drink spiking incidents every year and noted that the real number could actually be a lot higher, as many cases, if not the majority, go unreported. And if you think that drink spiking is just a problem for the big cities, you'd be mistaken. In just two months between February and April this year, 10 women reported spiking incidents to police in the regional Victorian town of Bendigo, which resulted in an increased police presence near all the small town's licensed venues. When Fiona was just 19, she went out with friends to one of the hottest clubs of the moment. She says it was a regular night out with the girls. So I was with a group of about four or five girlfriends and we were heading to that Saturday night. I think we got there around 10, 11 and we made our way in, got a drink, headed to the bar. And then whilst we were there, a group of guys came up to us and asked if we wanted to join their VIP section. And of course, being broke students at the time, we agreed. We thought nothing of it. We thought it was just pure luck. And we just started hanging out with them, chatting with them and having some drinks. When did you start to realise that maybe something wasn't quite right? Yeah, so I was only about two drinks in and I just started to feel a bit off. Everything kind of slowed down a bit around me and I just didn't feel myself and I knew that I wouldn't feel this way after only two drinks. So then did you decide to leave? Were your friends looking after you? How did the rest of the night go? I just told them that I wasn't feeling well and I called my boyfriend and he came and picked me up. 
So when I left the club, I still felt really woozy. I felt really tingly. I just didn't feel right. So when I got in the car, he made sure I was okay. I think he just thought I was really drunk and I had to explain, no, no, I've only had two drinks. Like I would never normally feel this way. And then I guess the drive home was about 30 minutes. And on the way, I was really warm. I was really hot. I started like blacking in and out. So some things I don't remember, some things I do. My hands started feeling really tingly. And then at some point I just couldn't feel them at all. And that's when my boyfriend started to freak out. At some point I was so warm and feeling really hot and flushed that I had to keep my head out of the window just to get some fresh air. And then I got home and then when I got home, I knew something wasn't right. So I took myself to the sink and I just made myself throw up absolutely everything in my stomach just to make sure I was okay and I wasn't going to black out anymore. And then I went straight to bed. Did you consider reporting the incident or going to hospital? I actually didn't. And looking back, I probably should have. But at the time, I think I was a little embarrassed. I was thinking, how could this have happened to me? And I was second guessing how I felt. I thought, oh, no, maybe I was just really drunk. But then I thought, no, on the other hand, the way I was feeling was just so strange and like I'd never felt before. The reasons people don't report being spiked are varied. Some say, like Fiona, that they feel ashamed or guilty. But it's also quite hard to prove that it happened at all. Many of the substances used for spiking don't stay in your system for very long. So if you go out, get spiked, then wake up the next day feeling groggy and confused about the night before, by the time you figure out what might have happened, the odds of you getting to a doctor in time to be tested for an unknown substance is pretty slim. Many also feel that authorities won't believe that they've been spiked, seeing the judgment and victim blaming handed to those who've come forward before them, accused of using it as an excuse for their own poor behaviour and that they'd simply put themselves in danger. Reporting a suspected spiking incident is really important, though. Otherwise, police, doctors and licensed premises don't get a true snapshot of what's going on. While we usually think of drink spiking involving drugs like GHB or a hypno, the vast majority of drink spiking is actually done with extra alcohol. This then, of course, makes an incident of spiking even harder to prove. Because if you've been out for a night, chosen to drink some alcohol, who'll believe that you haven't just drunk too much yourself? Nicole Lee is an adjunct professor at the National Drug Research Institute and director at 360 Edge, a consultancy specialising in the alcohol and other drug sector. Nicole, we've seen loads of images of people slipping a drug into a drink, but how is it extra alcohol is being added without us noticing? This is actually the most common way that drinks are spiked by adding extra alcohol because it's, you know, hard to tell when someone's just added a bit extra alcohol in. So what probably most often happens is, you know, if someone goes and buys you a drink at the bar and asks for a double shot instead of a single and you don't realise that you're drinking more than you had intended. Is there any way of knowing just by looking or smelling your drink that there could be anything in it? Well, I think one of the issues is that, you know, you're out at a pub or a bar or a nightclub and you're, you know, you're a bit distracted and talking and dancing and whatever. You're not really concentrating on your drink and you're just drinking it. So I think under other circumstances, you might be able to smell or taste it and 
know that it's a bit stronger or be monitoring yourself a bit more if you're in a much quieter environment. So there's probably enough distractions around that when it happens, you might not actually notice it. So, you know, one of the things I think is really just to be a little bit mindful when you're out to buy your own drinks and look after your drinks and just monitor how you're feeling while you're drinking. Why is it that the majority of cases who do actually report their drink being spiked all seem to have a memory loss episode? Is that just a case of it being too much alcohol or is it the drugs that typically are used in this situation cause that kind of blackout situation? It's both of those things. So if you have too much alcohol, you can have blackouts as I'm sure some people who have intentionally overindulged know, and you can have memory loss because of that. But also some of the drugs that are used for drink spiking with things like benzodiazepines like rohypnol, GHB or ketamine, it's relatively rare for those to be used. But when they are used, it's because they're colourless and odourless and so they're less easily detected. Do we think that drink spiking is always motivated by an eventual sexual assault, even if that does happen or not? Actually, we think that most drink spiking is pranking and just a bit of silliness, but those kind of incidents don't have the dire consequences that drink spiking for the intention of harming someone does. So we don't often hear about those kind of pranking because they're just your mates messing around and giving you too much alcohol and, you know, having a bit of fun when you're too drunk. And that's not a good thing in itself, but there's no kind of nefarious intent in that situation. And so they tend not to end in terrible consequences. But when perpetrators are spiking someone's drink with the intention of committing a sexual assault, then obviously there's much worse consequence for that. Well, let's talk about how we recognise that something has gone wrong. Because if you're out of a night and you're having a few drinks, you expect to feel a little bit tipsy at some stage, a little bit altered. What are the warning signs that we are more than just a little bit altered? Just monitoring how you're feeling is really important. And if you're not feeling well, then you need to either tell a friend or go sit somewhere quietly and see what's happening. But just like if you're intentionally getting drunk, you might feel a bit lightheaded or you might feel a bit faint or your vision gets a bit blurry. Some people feel quite sick or, um, you know, excessively tired more than if you just had had a few drinks. Or if you just had one or two drinks and normally you would feel kind of fine and in control, but you're feeling really, really drunk, then that might be an indicator that you've had something added to your drinks. Obviously, more extreme consequences like passing out or, you know, that kind of thing, that's a fairly good sign. Most people don't pass out from drinking, even drinking quite a bit. Or if you kind of feel a bit confused or really fuzzy-headed, unusually fuzzy-headed or uncomfortable when you wake up and you've had long periods where you can't remember what's happened and you haven't intentionally had a lot of alcohol, then that might be a sign. But it's really hard to know whether it is just because you've drunk too much or whether someone's actually put something in your drink. And that's one of the problems. It's really hard to work out what has happened or when it's happened or how it's happened. How do we prevent this kind of thing from happening without all the onus having to go on to victims to protect their drink from being targeted by drink spikers? 
So just make sure that you buy your own drinks so you know what goes in them. You probably notice that in a reputable bar, if you ask for a wine or a a spirit, that they will actually pour it on the tabletop so that you can see what's going in it. Just looking after each other when you're out and keeping an eye on your friends, but also just keeping an eye on your drink and don't leave it unattended. If you go to the toilet, make sure that you finish your drink or uh, you take it with you. Don't share drinks with other people. Yeah, make sure that, you know, if you're at a party that you're pouring your own drink out of your own bottle so that you know what's actually going in it and if you have an inkling that something's not right the drink doesn't taste very good or you're feeling quite drunk you know don't be afraid to just throw it out no matter whether it's a drug or alcohol drink spiking is illegal in every state and territory in australia and is punishable by fines and even prison sentences thankfully for fiona her experience of being spiked was a close call but it didn't end up in a life-altering tragedy I definitely felt lucky and I felt really grateful that I could recognise that I was feeling off and I could call my boyfriend and he could pick me up and I could get home safely and that I didn't get home and black out or pass out in a really precarious situation or hurt myself. And I guess every night out since then, it's not in the back of my mind, but I guess as a woman in general, I am super cautious. I definitely think about this group of guys and if they were doing this regularly at the club. I guess I just think that they were sketchy men with a lot of money who felt that they could just have their way with women and it didn't matter whether the women were, I guess, conscious or not, which is really horrible. I just think it was the case of a really sketchy group of guys who felt like they were on top of the world. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if you're looking for a bit of a lighter listen this week, give The Undone a shot. Hosted by besties Em and Lucy, this week they talk about their main character energy versus main character syndrome. But then there's main character syndrome. I don't know if anyone's ever distinguished these before, but we're going to. When someone thinks they're the main character of their life, usually comes with a side of individuality complex, quirky style and a self-centred point of view. So what's the difference? So the difference is the main character energy is a confidence that exudes from someone. They just happen to be interesting. They're not trying all that hard. Or, you know, it doesn't appear that they're trying all that hard. It's a vibe. Syndrome is when someone is trying really hard to be the main character, not only in their life, but in other people's lives too. Oh, no. Check out The Undone wherever you get your podcasts. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.